Hi, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Work With Purpose, a podcast about the Australian public service. My name's David Pembroke. Thank you for joining me. I begin today's podcast by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land on which we meet today, the Ngunnawal people, and pay my respects to their elders, past, present and future, and acknowledge the ongoing contribution they make to the life of our city and this region. Today, another interview from our Work With Purpose and National Perspective series, hosted by Dr Gordon Debrower. Hello to everyone listening and welcome to Work With Purpose, uh, a podcast about Australia's public services. I'm Gordon Debrower and I'm the IPA National President. Uh, we've had a lot of interest in the program on Work For Purpose and we've been speaking with uh, leaders from around the country. And I'm really delighted today to be speaking with Dave Stewart, who's the Director General of the Queensland's Department of the Premier and Cabinet. Uh, Dave's got a long, a long history, long experience in public administration, certainly both, of course, in, in Queensland, but also in New South Wales and the United Kingdom. And I'm really delighted uh, to be speaking with you today, Dave. Thanks, Gordon. It's uh, great to be online. Thanks. Uh, so why don't we start with uh, how you saw, with, we're going to talk about the, the COVID pandemic, um, how you saw the, the pandemic emerging and uh, what, what, how did it trigger and what did you, what did you see at the start? Well, it's re- it's really interesting. I think uh, we all came back from uh, leave at Christmas time uh, in early January, and certainly our chief health officer was very concerned about what she was seeing in China, in particular. So I think it was that very early on in in January, and in fact, the, the Queensland disaster management arrangements really swung into action at that stage. We started understanding the dimensions of the pandemic or what was playing out. And then for us, we started to understand, you know, particularly when travellers came from Wuhan into Melbourne and then travelled up into Queensland. So we instigated a uh, our public health response uh, in early, sorry, in late January. So, you know, we, we saw that emerging and, and we certainly whipped into gear very quickly. So can I ask you around those sorts of plans, um, there they're good guides, but how closely do you follow those scripts or they're just kind of a sense of what some of the issues are and how did you use that sort of sort of pandemic script? I think, Gordon, one of the things, unfortunately, Queensland's been very well rehearsed at natural disasters. You know, we were certainly confronting the bushfire situation, you know, late in 2019 and certainly into the early parts of 2020. Um, you know, 2020, usually in, in the sort of summertime, we get our cyclones. So so I guess our state disaster arrangements are very well practiced and very well trialled. And I think what we saw very quickly was uh, how important, when, when we started seeing the situation in Wuhan, uh, what we usually do is we have an agency, in this case, health was the strike agency, and then supported very quickly with all the rest of the whole of government response. So the pandemic plans... You know, Queensland had a pandemic plan. We certainly recognised and we brought that off the shelf and we then started operationalising it. And, and, and quite frankly, it was a very good plan. Uh, obviously, we've, you know, as this pandemic has rolled out and, and, we've, and time has moved on, then we've had to adjust and, and, and move very quickly. And, you know, I guess in the last, you know, watching Melbourne very closely at the moment is, you know, how important aged care facilities are. And, and you know, one of the things we do is we go back and, 
test our plans, develop new plans, and and then implement. So it's a, it's a bit of an iterative process. Yeah. So you mentioned uh, Queensland uh, sadly has lots of natural disasters. So it means that you you're more attuned to that. Can you talk a little bit about. Uh, Either what that means for relationships, say yeah. within the, across the service, sure. also for um, for how proactive you are in in thinking when something happens, how quickly you've got to respond or think about what the the series of steps are. Well, again, again Gordon, uh, the Queensland disaster management arrangements are very structured. Uh, so, uh, as I said, we were, we'd come out of the bushfire season, heading into the cyclone season, and as soon as we saw this, the premier called the Queensland State Disaster Management Committee together. Uh, it started meeting very regularly, and I think we had actually had our first meeting of the Queensland Disaster Management Committee in, again, I think it was on the 30th of January in relation to the pandemic. And I guess what we saw was it escalating, and so the, the Premier moved very quickly to create a Cabinet Committee, which was the Queensland Disaster Cabinet Committee. Basically, that committee is a very collegiate committee. It's chaired by the Premier. It has all of the key ministers around the table, all the key directors generals, uh, the police commissioner, but importantly, the state disaster controller who happens to be our deputy police commissioner. So we had all the agencies around. We had local government at the table. We had key stakeholders at the table. So it was something that worked very well. It's worked very well for us in practice. And it's certainly something that we've continued to work. And, and, And I guess, you know, we are a collegiate group, particularly in a disaster. And you know this was no no different really. Yeah. Um, I'd like to take the conversation into three areas. One's sure. talking about how service delivery to the Queensland public uh, changed, or how you use technology or other ways to ensure continuity of service. Then we'll talk about elements of uh, how the public service itself worked sure. and the changes in practices, and then come back and reflect on some of the relationships, including with ministers and in the federation. But can we start with service delivery? How, how have you gone about, how has Queensland gone about maintaining continuity and quality service delivery to the Queensland public? I, I guess uh, service, you know, service delivery in many respects has changed fundamentally with COVID. So, you know, yes, we still deliver our policing services. We deliver our frontline services through emergency response. You know, we still deliver all of our ag services. We deliver our you know, transport and main roads, customer services, you name it. Those services are still there, but the way people interact with us has changed. So we always had a strong digital presence, uh, but we always maintained front of, front of counter services as well. And I think what we've seen during COVID is that people have moved more to the digital presence. And the other thing we've done is that we've actually pushed service delivery out. So instead of waiting for... Queensland citizens to come to us, we've tended to push those services out to Queensland citizens to make sure they're aware of what's happening. But certainly under COVID, there's been a lot of adjustment in service delivery. Can you give some examples of how you've pushed out service delivery? What, what, what are some yeah. practical examples of that? Yeah. Uh, transport and main roads around licensing. So, you know, we've really streamlined our licensing process. We've really gone, you know, and made sure that people can understand that they can renew licenses online. They can access the plethora of uh, information. You know, don't get me wrong, there have been some challenges. And again, if I look at transport and main roads, um, you know, we had to suspend driver licensing testing. So, you know, there are things we've done. But now that, you know, we're doing quite well in our response to the pandemic, we've been able to re 
introduce those services as we've been able to lift restrictions. Uh, you know, the I guess the, the most fundamental, and, and it's as much to do with the Commonwealth, is in the way health delivery services have happened. You know, e-health has been, I think, one of the most amazing phenomena that we've seen. And I think the conversion of people wanting to go and see a GP or a health professional and willing to do that online has made a fundamental change. I think the other area, just really quickly, is around hospitalities. So as you know, with liquor licensing and how we regulate, a lot of those businesses have had to go online, do takeaway services early on. But we also made sure that we could merge all of the things that they would do as a restaurant so they could sell alcohol with that food, as an example. Right. Uh, well, one of the one of the or two distinctive features of Queensland uh, are that it's a, probably more a regional state, so it's a much yes, more correct. decentralised. Uh, right. So regions, regions matter everywhere, but they really yes. are hugely important. So any yeah. reflections around regional service delivery, but also uh, reflections on um, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander engagement yeah. and service delivery for, for that community? Gordon, I'll start with the latter because I think early on our Indigenous communities, which we have a very strong relationship with, again, just as an example, every week uh, the Deputy Premier or the Premier would meet with every mayor from Indigenous communities and generally, you know, online, obviously, but we were very minded of how vulnerable those communities were and how we had to respond very differently to our Indigenous and Torres Strait communities. Uh, so we, again, looked very carefully at what we had to do. We, in, in fact, we implemented protocols where, you know, we really restricted the number of people who went into community, but mm. we made sure that, you know, we had that digital presence or that, that presence where people could actually get what we need. You know, resupply was really critical at that time, uh, early on in the pandemic, and we made sure we doubled our efforts around resupply. Health workers. Uh, so we really restricted those people physically going into communities, but we then gave communities alternate channels to deal with what they needed um, in, in a public health sense. But you're right, Queensland is such a decentralised state. Um, we've very much uh, had a very different customer response to what happens in the southeast corner to what happens mm. you know, up the seaboard, but certainly in outback and regional Queensland. Yeah, right. Um, in thinking about some of these changes and what you say is that they've been remarkable, especially, say, in telehealth or other things, the how do you go about thinking about locking these changes in? So if, if the public has an expectation that they can get these services delivered differently and delivered well... How do you go about making sure that consciously you're locking these things in rather than just by accident or losing well, them? Well, 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 I think I think we've seen adaptation happen so rapidly. So, you know, I guess the pace we were following in changing our services to different platforms or different 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 modes was basically how our customers were re responding to us. But that's changed so rapidly. I think our customers now very clearly expect those services to be delivered in a different way. And quite frankly, we've adapted the public service. So, you know, a whole pile of things we used to do, we no longer do. And we've focused our attention on new service delivery modes and uh, channels. Well, that's a good uh, way of shifting to the way the public service or the QPS works. Uh, yeah. Talk about some of those changes around and then what what what, what you did differently uh, and how that succeeded? Well, I, I think 
again, in time of disaster, we work very well together. We're very collegiate. Uh, and basically, we break down all the departmental barriers. And I think what we've seen now is a fundamental shift in the way we deploy public servants. So we've created uh, a really a, a really good process where we've deployed people to where the need is the greatest. So, you know, as I said, early on, health was so important to us. Uh, we deployed people into the health department and into the hospital and health uh, network to really support the COVID response. Uh, we deployed people into our state disaster organisations to support those frontline service delivery areas. So, so we have adapted as organisations uh, and we've, we've learnt how we can move and, and have greater mobility within the sector. And, and we're seeing that as in Queensland as restrictions have lifted uh, you know, we're seeing a decentralisation of the service, you know, people moving into parts of the region as opposed to travelling to the CBD or travelling to, to you know, the, the I guess the, the, the more uh, higher population areas. So we're, we're just seeing that service being delivered differently. Can you talk a bit about and maybe some practical examples yeah. of those, those work hubs and how they operate yeah, sure. and what they do? So I'll give two examples. One is, um, again, early on, we recognised how important contact tracing would be in managing a pandemic outcome. And, and, you know, again, we've seen that across the states in recent times. The Premier uh, actually assigned a task to the Attorney General. Uh, basically, you know, the health was, as I said, the health minister was the lead response to our Deputy Premier. But the Premier said, right, uh, contact tracing, Attorney General, I want you as an accountable minister to develop a team and work directly with health to really build that capacity. And so what we've done with the public service is we've deployed people to become and train them to become contact tracers. So, you know, so important in managing the pandemic. Uh, the Premier said to uh, now Treasurer, you know, manufacturing and the delivery of PPE is something that's vital. I want you to be accountable for modelling what PPE requirements are going to be needed, but then going and identifying new manufacturing opportunities onshore. So we had a team that did that. Our communities group, again, the Premier said, well, we're going to have a lot of people in isolation, a lot of elderly people in isolation. Uh, I want to create what's called the Care Army. I want you to have community recovery people who come from across the sector, ringing those people in isolation or in home, in, in home care so we have that support network. So those people have someone they talk to every day and, you know, we can deliver on what their requirements are, you know, food, health services. Mm. Uh, but but more importantly, talking to them about their mental health and having that point of contact. Yeah, you got uh, – so that's how the, the public service talks with the public. Um, you got any sort of also on sort of working from home, those sorts of things yeah. of how it talks to itself or the different bits it's, of the service talking in, yeah. and, and using technology? Yeah, uh, it's, it's interesting. It's a bit like today we've become all become experts at Teams or Zoom, yeah, or, yeah. Uh, which, which you know, again, I think it, leaders needed to adapt. We always said we had a flexible workforce. We really do now have a flexible workforce. And, you know, we've brought back 50% of the public service back to our offices, but we still rotate our teams so they can still work from home. Um, you know, we, we, we don't have the structure. You know, people used to, I guess, the old public service of the nine to five culture or the, the seven to whatever. 
we now have very broad bandwidths that people can work to deliver this, what they have to do their work programs. But it's really required managers to really start managing and leaders to actually provide the opportunity for managers to direct their teams in a very different way. So we've yeah. been able to say, here's your work program and, and then being able to check in. So so it's just a very different face-to-face, you know, it's different from the face-to-face context. Yeah, one of the things I've heard about uh, from Queensland is, uh, again, on the regional side, it's the it's meant that the contact and the engagement between, say, Brisbane, public servants in Brisbane and then in the regions is much more equal. It's not like yes. uh, everything's centred in Brisbane. It's actually Absolutely. technology empowers the regions in that. So they're, they're, they're face-to-face on the Zoom. Like like uh, like a like a Brisbane face is so is, so is a, a regional face. Yeah. Absolutely. It, look, it, look, it has been good. It, it's I, I'm always fascinated by the adoption. So people had adapted and adopted working from home very quickly, and you know a lot of that was from necessity in the early days. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting to see how those practices have been sustained, and and you know I think service delivery is as good as it has been. Yeah. Can I ask you, you mentioned mental health earlier and it's really yeah. part of that responsibility of, of managers and teams and, and looking after the health. How have, how have, how's that, that gone in Queensland? Because I, I think most people would say mental health in, in all workplaces is, is, is a more serious difficulty now yes. than it was before. How have you yeah. gone about addressing or thinking about those issues? I think, I think the key thing is, is people's connectiveness to others. And, you know, when you lose that face-to-face contact in a physical environment, I think it's as equally important to make sure you have a communication pathway when you're in a digital or a, in a virtual forum. So one of the things we have continued to do, I, I communicate with my department every day. I send out a note telling them what's happened. But, you know, I know my deputy directors keep running their town halls. They do all of those interactions. And I know teams do that. They virtually meet as a team, if not a couple of times a day, at least once a day. And I think we've also emphasised our human service support that we have. We've always had that. But Mm. I think it's, it's, it's really that ongoing connection, making sure people know that they're not alone. Um, and, and I think, you know, some people have a propensity to, you know, if they're working from home, they love it, they they lock down and do what they need to do, but it's important that we keep communicating and it's a two-way street. Yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe we'll just don't talk to that third area now around relationships. And yes. You, uh, yeah. So probably talk a little bit about relationships uh, with ministers and then across yeah. the, uh, with the community and business and then in the federation. Maybe happy to start with uh, how how's the pandemic changed the relationship or interaction between public servants and ministers, or has it? Uh... I, I don't think it's changed too dramatically, quite frankly. I, I think I think it's I think again, in that Queensland disaster management structure, the collaboration between ministers and the public service is very strong. Uh, you know, so so I, I I think you know again we do our very best work, and and you know it's great seeing. Ministers around that QDMCC, the Queensland Disaster Management Cabinet table, and how they interact with the public sector. The other thing the Premier has been very insistent and very good at doing is running scenario workshops. So early on, we ran a big scenario around, you know, what, what was coming over the. We could see this cloud coming over the horizon. We wanted to be prepared, and 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 I was just a 
amazed at the ideas and the thought process. And we, and, you know, we ran a pandemic with a cyclone, you know, and, and mm-hmm. then, you know, the great thinking that was happening there. So, so I've seen that relationship strengthen. I've seen, you know, premiers run the cabinet virtually initially, uh, and we've been able to change our whole parliamentary processes as well. But, you know, in fact, parliament's sitting as we speak and in a very different format. So, so those relationships are strong. I think what's changed dramatically is the relationships in the Federation. Mm. You know, the invention of National Cabinet, we had our 25th National Cabinet meeting last Friday, and, you know, that forum has been outstanding. Uh, you know, you've been involved in many COAG meetings as I have, mm. and, you know, I have never seen so much achieved in so little time. Some of the chestnuts. Yeah. So how do you, again, uh, how do you maintain that? I, I, this is these I are difficult think, questions, Dave. I know. I think. I think. I think. Uh, you know, it's interesting, as you know, Peter Conran's working at the moment with the Commonwealth, looking at how we, what the shape of national cabinet will be on. A, I guess on on a, in a peacetime as opposed to a pandemic time, and you know, I think the challenge will always be what we have with the pandemic is we have a common purpose, we have a common, a common goal as a federation. I think the challenge will be maintaining that, particularly when, you know, we start looking at policy areas that are quite complex. But 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 I think the goodwill's there. I think the leadership's there. You know, the prime minister with the premiers and the chief ministers, there is no question that everyone wants to do things differently. And I think this is our time to fundamentally shift from pandemic wartime to a national cabinet in peacetime that really achieves great outcomes and reform, regulatory reform. Yeah, uh, it's the political will that's always been the, the, the central will. piece of every, everything that's done. Uh, what one, you got any reflections around uh, just the nature of the Federation? And uh, my sense is, as a long-time Canberra person, that things had been shifted more and more to Canberra, and that was the appetite of Canberra. Yeah. What this has shown is that uh, when it comes to public health and safety, education and health and enforcement, that's really the states are sovereign. And yeah, uh, there's been a, a sense of sovereignty of jurisdiction of, of state and territory jurisdictions, and uh, that's changed. That's changed the view around how the federation should go. You got any reflections on that? Is that? It's it's interesting, Gordon. I think early on there was this view that we had to have a single song sheet that people followed the rules very closely. But I think what we've tried to do is have nationally consistent rules, but the way the states have implemented those rules you know, has has changed. And, you know, the subtlety of things like border closures or, you know, particular restrictions or the way these things have happened. And, and, and you know, quite frankly, I think that's been successful. You know, states have made decisions on the best basis of, the, you know, the health advice, but in the best interests of their own economies. And, you know, we've seen what's happened in Victoria. You know, we've we've sent resources to Victoria, not only health resources, but also policy and community recovery resources. And and I think this whole resource sharing has been really key for a common interest, but I think states definitely have done things. You know, we, we've managed our border issues and, you know, that focus has been on how we manage the pandemic within our state. So, look, I do, I think we have the balance right. I think we aim for national consistency. We aim for, you know, watching the AHPPC advice but states are mm. sovereign and they do what they need to do. How do you manage within that 
some of the risks to, say to supply chains that lots of economic yeah. activity spreads yeah. across yeah. states yeah. and if you have to close down particular areas for a health issue uh, then it, it can have disproportionate impacts on on some of that su supply security of yes. supply and, and yeah. maybe unintended consequences how do you how do you talk how do you think about those things um, as a public Again, servant I think I think that again the, the the national cabinet process and our first secretary's meetings or our you know senior officers meetings, you know we we understand again the importance of you know and supply chains are great thing so freight movement by heavy vehicle so initially you know states were doing different things and then there was a very strong view look we need to be consistent in that approach and having these I guess codes of practice. Uh, developed that actually manages freight movement. So, you know, the freighters only have to have a single permit. You know, the driver has to be tested every seven days. So we got that consistency. We got that consistency in the maritime space with particularly with, you know, shipping and, and bulk mm -hmm. shipping. I'll put cruise ships to one side. Um, you know, we've had that, that same issue with the, you know, of quarantining people flying in from outside the country. So I think where and 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 you know another example was early on was this whole notion of uh, residential tenancies and commercial tenancies. So you know everyone identified an issue, hibernation of business. We needed to manage that tenancy issue, and we developed a national code. So so I I think where there's a common purpose, everyone comes together to come up with a framework. How that framework's implemented is sometimes different. Yeah. Uh can I ask you on the relationships side, um, what how how you've seen sort of government interact with say communities or with business yeah, that that yeah, sort of relationship yeah. that many of the solutions or finding a way through this are found iteratively with others. You've got any examples yes. or how you've seen that work in practice? Again, what we've done in Queensland is we set up very quickly what we call an alliance. So within my department, we have uh, a task force which is basically focused on. Uh, you know, the, their focus now is on economic recovery. It's part of the recovery process, our Unite and Recover. But one of the key things we identified is making sure that we brought our key stakeholders along. So the Premier created an alliance. So we've met, uh, I can't remember how many times now, certainly many times, and, and there's subgroups of the alliance, but, you know, they're the peaky, peak industry bodies, you know, whether mm. it's, um, you know, s the social services sector or the you know, the chambers of commerce or, you know, those peak industries. And look, that's worked well. We've been able to listen and hear from them. And that's certainly been a key input into our roadmap uh, and the various restriction easing stages of our roadmap. And in sometimes where we've had to, you know, reintroduce restrictions like we did with the border. So you can imagine that mm -hmm. would have had a significant impact on tourism. You know, they were part of the decision-making process and they understood the reasons. So I, I think that external stakeholder collaboration has been very good and has worked well. Yeah. Um, I guess we're, we're coming to an end. Uh, can I ask you for some personal reflections on, in a, in a sense, what you've, uh, what you've discovered about yourself or what, what you've learned about yourself uh, in this process? I, I think uh, one of the key things is your ability to, I use the word pivot, your ability to adapt. Uh, I think, uh, that's been fundamental. You know, th this I couldn't imagine where we were in January, where where I am today in August. 
and the, mm. change, the fundamental changes that we've done to our business, the fundamental changes we've seen in our community. Uh, so, you know, I, I think being nimble and being able to change and adapt quickly has been something that's important. And, and you know, again, I think one of the great things of being a leader at this stage is the relationships that you've had mm. and the relationships and you've developed um, across the board. Uh, it's certainly been a very, very, very busy time. But, uh, you know, it's good to be in the leadership role and advising the premier and ministers and 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 working as a team. And, uh, you know, I'm immensely proud of the Queensland Public Service. They've done outstanding work. And, uh, you know, the other thing I must admit is the power of my own personal team. So, mm. uh, you know, my, my office team have just been outstanding. And, uh, you know, I take my hat off to them. They've done remarkable work. So let's see, uh, probably a little bit around resilience on that. How, yes, have you, yeah. uh, how have you been able to be resilient? I mean, some of it's just the, the adrenaline and the imperative of dealing with an issue. Yeah. But how do you find your resilience? How do you how do you bolster that? Oh, you know, I, I think having a great team around you is so important. And, you know, we, we work, you know, it, it, it is so collegiate. Uh, it, it's the most collegiate I've ever, you know, I thought my team was very collegiate. It's the best I've ever seen. You know, people really roll their sleeves up and 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 get on with it. And look, you know, we talk to each other. Uh, you know, we uh, talk about the things that aren't going so well, uh, whether they're own, yeah. our own personal uh, interactions, but we certainly talk about the successes we've had and we, and we work off that. But, uh, you know, as I said, it's uh, – I think you've got to maintain – a really good balance. You've got to look at what you're trying to achieve. Um, it's often hard to stay connected with your family when you're working uh, tremendous hours. But I think uh, when you see what we've achieved as a state, I'm I'm immensely proud and, and happy to be part of that process. Only one person in a cog of many. Yeah. Well, th thank you very much, Dave, for your time. Uh, that's very much appreciated. Yeah. And thank you, thank you also for your service to your state and to your, and to the nation. So th thank, thank you. you very much, Dave. Thanks, Gordon. And there you have it, another great conversation hosted by Dr Gordon De Brower. Work with Purpose, a national perspective. Work with Purpose is part of the GovComs podcast network and if you do want to check out that GovComs podcast, please type it into your favourite podcast browser and it is sure to come up. If you do happen to come across our social media promotion for Work With Purpose, please pass it along and share it because it will help it to be found. And if you do have enough time to give us a generous rating, probably a five-star review, that would be appreciated as well because that will help us to be discovered. Thanks again to our good friends at IPA and to the Australian Public Service Commission for their ongoing support. And thanks to you, the audience, for coming back once again. That's it for now. We'll be back at the same time next week. But for the moment, it's bye for now. Bye.